I want to welcome you here tonight to this very timely series, Israel, Prophecy in the Middle East. If you're joining us by live stream, we're, we're glad that you're going to be a part of this. I, I believe that the notes are available. Does everybody have your notes? Okay, good. Well, let's begin with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this, this evening, and we acknowledge, Father, that there are things happening in the world that we don't understand. There are things happening in the world, Lord, that causes alarm for us. But Father, as we come to you, we recognize that you're sovereign over every nation on this planet, over every leader of every nation, leader of every group of people on the face of the planet. And Father, we ask you in the name of Jesus to protect uh, the Israeli people, protect the Israeli military as they go in to deal with the terrorists there in Gaza. I do pray, Father, that you would allow those who are innocent in Palestine there in Gaza to find a way of escape. Lord, we just trust you to do what needs to be done in this situation. Heavenly Father, I pray for a young three-year-old boy that I just found out about, Breckett Fowler, who's at St. Jude, who has brain cancer. Father, I pray that you would be with Breckett. I, I pray that uh, the doctors at St. Jude could find a way to help him. to Lord, if, if it's your will, we pray that you would heal him completely. We pray you'd be with his parents. I can't imagine what they're going through. And Heavenly Father, as we come to you tonight, we pray for Laura Junkins' healing. Lord, please heal Laura. And Lord, we, we, we pray for, um, uh, for those who are grieving, for those who are hurting, and we pray that you meet every physical, spiritual, and emotional need they have in their lives. So, Lord, I ask you for the filling of the Holy Spirit. I ask you to help me to teach this truth tonight in a way that is understandable and that is relevant to all. Lord, we love you. We thank you that we're a part of your kingdom. And I pray that we'd be faithful to Jesus comes. In Christ's name, amen. If you'll take your Bible, turn to Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel 36. You know, like a, a well-worn baseball, the world seems to be coming apart at the seams. It's not just in Israel. It, it seems like it's all over the world that things are going absolutely haywire. And, and, but that we shouldn't be surprised by that because Jesus said it's going to be that way in the last days. I, I hope and pray that every person within the sound of my voice is a born-again believer. I hope and pray that you're ready at any moment to be taken into glory. I hope and pray that you have a, a desire in your heart to understand biblical prophecy and to make application of that biblical prophecy to the way you live your life and the strategies and plans you have for, for you and your family. 
Jesus said this over and over again in the New Testament. He said, be ready. Be ready. Are you ready? I hope and pray you're ready. Because he's going to come if you're ready or not. I promise you. So with that in mind, you know, we, we've, the past few days, we've read or, or, or seen horrific images of Hamas violence there among, against the Israelis. And, and you see in your notes, there's some things I'm not going to read out loud because we have some young people in our audience tonight. But over 1,300 Israelis were massacred. 3,400 were injured. 200 plus were kidnapped, including some Americans. 16 million Jews worldwide are mourning the worst attack since Holocaust. For the first time since 1973, Israel has declared war. The IDF is poised on the border of Gaza with the full intention of going in house to house and absolutely destroying Hamas, the terrorist organization. Now, it's very important that we make a distinction between Hamas, a terrorist organization, and the Palestinian people. It seems like the media wants to lump them together. The media wants to create two teams, only two, the Palestinians and the Israelis. But that's not the way it is in reality. Listen, there are, there are Palestinians who have been absolutely mistreated and killed and, and used as human shields by Hamas. And look, you, you cannot lump innocent Palestinians in with that terror group. Now, they did elect them as their government in Gaza. So with that being said, uh, America has sent aircraft carriers and even troops on standby just to serve as a deterrent for Iran and other nations to throw gasoline on the fire and to cause this thing to turn into a world war. But it does seem that the entire Middle East is a tinderbox, ready to explode at any moment. Israel is facing the specter of having to fight a war on multiple fronts. The northern front with Hezbollah, and the, the, to their west with Gaza and Hamas. And then you've always got Syria, who's always been a mortal enemy of Israel. So what are the prophetic implications of all of this? So, so Ezekiel is one of those books in the Bible that attracts you with vivid imagery with symbolism, parables, allegories, and apocalyptic visions. It, it seemed like it'd be a great book to study until you start studying it, and then you find out it's really hard. It's really hard to understand the book of Ezekiel. Before we jump into this study, I was alerted to something by Joel Rosenberg, 
Now, if you don't know Joel Rosenberg, I'm telling you, he is a, he's a Jewish believer. He lives in Israel, and he is a prophecy expert. I put on uh, my Facebook page his website, allisrael.com. If you want to get news that is more accurate than MSNBC, go to allisrael.com. Okay, it's 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 news from Israel for for an evangelistic an evangelical audience. Okay, so he he talked about the importance of Psalm eighty three as it relates to what is happening in the Middle East at this moment. So I want to I just want to read Psalm eighty three for you. Okay. O oh God, do not, be, do not remain silent. Do not be silent. And, O oh God, do not be still. For behold, your enemies make an uproar. And those who hate you have exalted themselves. Now, let me make a point here. If you hate the Jews, you hate God. Do you hear me? But let me say this. If you hate the Palestinians, you hate God. Why do you say that, Pastor? Because God created the Palestinians. It's not God's will for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. I'm praying that this will turn into a great opportunity for the gospel in the Middle East and the world. And then it goes on to say, verse 3, they make shrewd plans against your people. And conspire together against your treasured ones. Well, who's the your people and your treasured ones? It's the Jewish people. Now, look, we can try to be politically correct all we want to. But I'm telling you that the Jewish people, they are the, the apple of God's eye. And I'm going to get into that later on. I want to show you some things. They have said, come, let us wipe them out as a nation. Do you know that is the, the stated objective of Hamas? Not, not to come to a peace table. That's not their stated objective. Their stated objective is to destroy and wipe out of existence the Jewish people. That's the goal of Iran. That's the goal of Hamas. That's the goal of Hezbollah that the name of Israel be remembered no more. For they have conspired together with one mind against you. They make a covenant. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagrites, Gerbal, uh, Gabal and uh, Ammon and Amalek, Philistia and the inhabitants of Tyre. You know, I looked up those nations and I found out something. Let me just read them to you. He talks about the tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites. That's southern Jordan and Arabia. Moab and the Hagrites, that's central and north Jordan. Gebal, Ammon, and Amalek, that's Lebanon, Syria, and the Sinai Peninsula. Philistia, that's the Gaza Strip. The inhabitants of Tyre, that's more of Lebanon. Assyria, 
That's Syria, Lebanon, and Iraq. The, all these nations surround the nation of Israel. They're mortal. In, do you understand that Israel is surrounded by people who want to wipe them out, to make them in, extinct as a people, as a nation? Verse 9, deal with them as with Midian, as with Sisera and Jabin at the torrent of Kishon, who were destroyed at Endor, who became as dung for the ground. Make their nobles like Oreb and Zeb, all their princes like Zeba and Zalmunna, who said, let us possess for ourselves the pastures of God. These names may seem very strange to you, but these were enemies of Israel that were defeated soundly because of the sovereign intervention of God. Verse 13, O oh my God, make them like the whirling dust, like chaff before the wind, like fire that burns the forest, and like a flame that sets the mountains on fire. So pursue them with your tempest and terrify them with your storm. Fill their faces with dishonor that they may seek your name, O Lord. Let them be ashamed and dismayed forever and let them be humiliated and perish. It's the enemies of Israel. And God says, let them perish. Let them perish. Now, before we jump into our study, I just want to give you a few references to Gaza that's found in the Bible. In Genesis 10, 19 is the first reference to Gaza. The territory of the Canaanite extended from Sidon as you go toward Gerar as far as what? Gaza. As you go towards Sodom and Gomorrah and Adma and Zeboim, as far as Lacia, Judges 1, 18 and 19. And Judah took Gaza with its territory and Ashkelon with its territory and Ekron with its territory. Now the Lord was with Judah and they took possession of the hill country, but they could not drive out the inhabitants of the va valley because they had iron chariots. Do, do you understand that Gaza was a part of, of the the Philistine um, territory, there were five major cities among the Philistines, and Gaza was one of them. Amos 1, 6 and 7, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not revoke its punishment because they deported an entire population to deliver it up to Edom. So I will send fire upon the wall of Gaza, and it will consume her citadels. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 5, Ashkelon will see it. That's another one of the major cities of the Philistine empire. Ashkelon will see it and be afraid. Gaza, too, will writhe in great pain. Also, Ekron, for her expectation has been confounded. Moreover, the king will perish from Gaza, and Ashkelon will not be inhabited. Now, Ezekiel, let's talk about Ezekiel a moment. Ezekiel was a priest. He was from a priestly family. And he was exiled into Babylon, and he was a contemporary of Daniel the prophet. His name means God strengthens. God called him to confront the root causes 
of Israel's sinfulness. You know what the root cause was? It's not complicated. The root cause of, of Judah and Israel and, and the people of God's uh, uh, problem was, was simply this. They, they did not listen to God's word and they did not obey God's word. By the way, that same thing will get everybody in this room in trouble too. It will incur the discipline of God in our lives. So I want you to remember this. The most important thing you and I can do is study the Word of God, pay close attention to the Word of God, and obey the Word of God. And when we, when we mess up, when we don't obey, because none of us are perfect, when we, when we mess up and we don't obey the Word of God, the first thing we need to do is fall to our knees and say, God, please forgive me. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So keep your slate of unconfessed sin very, very short. Okay? That's what this should teach us. Now, the book of Ezekiel can be divided into three sections. The, the prophet's call can be found in chapters 1 through 3. And by the way, it, it, his call is very interesting. You ought to read chapters 1 through 3 sometime. And, and chapters 4 to 24 deals with God's judgment on Jerusalem. And chapters 25 to 32 deals with God's judgment on the surrounding nations. And chapters 33 to 48 deals with God's restoration of the Jews in the kingdom. Now you say, Pastor, I, I thought that God was the God of the Jews. Why, why is God bringing judgment on these nations that don't even recognize him as God? Because he's God. Do you, you do realize there's only one God. There is only one God. One of the problems that developed in this time period was simply this, that these nations felt like their God was the right God and everybody seemed to have their own God and they felt like it, that if they were successful that their God was more powerful than the other group's God. I'm telling you, folks, they all learned very quickly there's only one God and there's still only one God. Let me ask you, have you ever tried to skip rocks across a lake? You, you, you know what I'm talking about? You find a good flat rock, and you get out there, and you try to skip that thing, and, and it, hits, it hits the water, and it just gets up in the air, and it may hit three, four, five, six times, but it finally runs out of steam and goes to the bottom of that body of water. Now, that's the way we're going to try to cover Ezekiel chapter 36 through Ezekiel chapter 39. I, look, tonight is, is a real long introduction, okay? My goal is to cover the first 15 verses of Ezekiel 36. Whether I make it or not depends on how fast you can listen, okay? So listen fast, because we're going to do like that rock. 
We're not going to drill down too awfully deep. We're going to skim and we're going to drop down at certain points in chapter 36 to 39 and make sure that we understand, that we have a, an understanding of Israel, prophecy, and the Middle East. Now, we've already seen how the book breaks down, but let's look how chapter 36 breaks down. That's what we're going to focus on tonight. In verses 1 to 15, there's a promise to renew the land of Israel. And in verses 16 to 38, there's a promise to renew the people of Israel. All right, you ready? You fired up? All right, let's go. Ezekiel chapter 36. Notice verse 1. And you, son of man, prophesy to the mountains of Israel. Now, look back at chapter 35 for just a moment. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Mount Seir and prophesy against it. You say, well, what is Mount Seir? Mount Seir is Edom, one of the mortal enemies of the nation of Israel. So in chapter 35, God told Ezekiel to prophesy against Edom and Mount Seir. Now you come to, to, to chapter 36, and, and there's, there's a change here. And, and God told Ezekiel, to prophesy to the mountains of what? Israel. And say, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Look at it. Thus says the Lord God, because the enemy has spoken against you, aha, and the everlasting heights have become our possession. So here's what the enemy say. The enemy is saying, we have taken the land from Israel. Boy, that rings a bell, doesn't it? We've taken the land from Israel. The everlasting heights have become our possession. Therefore prophesy and say, thus says the Lord God, for good reason they made you desolate and crushed you from every side, that you would become a possession of the rest of the nations, and you've been taken up in the talk and the whispering of the people. Now understand, now what we're talking about here in chapter 36, 1 through 15, is not the people of Israel, but it's the land of Israel. Well, that's a sore subject in the world today, right? The land of Israel. Verse 4, therefore, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to the mountains and to the hills, to the ravines and to the valleys, to the desolate places and to the forsaken cities, which have become a prey and a derision to the rest of the nations which are round about. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, surely in the fire of my jealousy, I've spoken against the rest of the nations against all Edom. Where, where did Edom come from? You remember? Esau, the brother of Jacob, 
That's where Edom originated from. And God gave Mount Seir and Edom to, to uh, Esau. Look at this. Who appropriated my land for themselves as a possession with wholehearted joy and with scorn of soul to drive, out, drive it out for prey. You know what happened? God ordained that the people of Judah, the southern kingdom, would, would be disciplined because of their rebellion against God, because of their failure to listen to the Word of God and to obey the Word of God. And, and so God sent Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar to lay siege to Jerusalem, and in three different waves, he carried Jews into exile in Babylon. Ezekiel was in that second wave. I think Daniel was in the first wave that were taken into exile. You know what I notice here in verse 5? It's so important. I want you to see it again. Surely in the fire of my jealousy I have spoken against the rest of the nations. Against all Edom, Edom, look, who appropriated, notice these two words, my land. Whose land? That's God's land. Let me tell you something, folks. That little strip of land over there, the size of New Jersey, that's God's land. So God can give that land to whoever he wants to give it to, right? I want you to know that God's already made his mind up whose land that is. The nation of Israel, who appropriated my land for themselves as a possession with wholehearted joy. See, here's what happened. When Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians were taking the Jews into exile, Edom, which had sort of a, they were like cousins of the Jews, okay? Instead of helping them and encouraging them, they celebrated the fact that they were being taken into exile and they couldn't wait to get their hands on the land of Israel. And God says, that dog won't hunt. That will not work, not with God. Look at it. Verse 6, therefore prophesy concerning what? What does it say? Concerning the land of Israel. Now, when you study the Bible... I'm telling you, there's some clues that will really help you if you'll pay attention. Questions like who, what, when, where, why, how. If you'll take those kind of questions and you'll probe the Scripture, a lot of things will come clear to you. Okay? Therefore, prophesy against who? Well, the land of Israel. Uh, prophesy concerning the land of Israel and say to the mountains and to the hills, to the ravines and to the valleys, thus says the Lord God, behold, I've spoken in my jealousy and in my wrath because you have endured, look at this, the insults of the nations. Boy, is that relevant? 
There is no people on the face of this planet. There's no land on the face of this planet that has endured more insults than the land of Israel and the people of Israel. It seemed like the whole world hates them. It seemed like the whole world is gunning for the land of Israel and the people of Israel. It, it, I, I got to be honest with you. Sometimes I just scratch my head. Not because I have dandruff, but because I can't figure out where people are coming from. I mean, we have people in this nation who are in the streets protesting against Israel in favor of Hamas and the Palestinians. How can you, when you see what they did, how on God's green earth can you be protesting in favor of that group? I, I don't understand it. Look at this. Verse 7, therefore, thus says the Lord God, I have sworn that surely the nations which are what? Around you. Those nations surrounding Israel. We just read about them in, in Psalm 83, right? That those nations which are around you will themselves endure their insults. Listen, there. There is a spiritual law of sowing and reaping. And you reap what you sow. And I want you to understand, dear friend, that that is true as it relates to what's happening in the Middle East today and what's happened in the past. Now, I want to show you for just a minute this my land. Can you put the, oh, you got it up there. Okay. Look, let me see, where am I? Oh, right in there. Yeah. You see that little bitty strip of land right there? That's Israel. That's Israel. Look at it. It's a tiny strip of land. Look, look at this. It, it's about the size of that little strip there in, in Florida. That little dark strip. Man, my hand's shaking. And it seems like the whole world is fighting over that strip. That tiny strip. Let, let me tell you. Everything in the prophetic realm centers around that strip of land. And there's a city in that strip of land that everything does revolve around. By, by the way, it's not London. It's not New York City. It's not Sydney, Australia. It's not Los Angeles, California. It's not Chicago, Illinois. It is Jerusalem. Listen, you, you can take Israel and the city of Jerusalem and you can set that as your gaze to what's happening in the prophetic realm. 
You need to understand that now. Watch it carefully. Now, you say, but, but why is that the land of Israel? Well, number one, remember now it's God's land, right? God can do what he wants to. You say, well, how can God do that? Well, let me ask you this. How can God take one day out of seven and say, that's my Sabbath? He's God. How, how can he take the, the, the tenth of what the Jews would, would, would make in their crops and say, that's mine? That's mine. Well, I'm telling you, out of all the land in the world, God has taken that little strip of land said, that's my land. And now look at Genesis 15, 7 and 18. Look at it. This God has cut a covenant with Abraham. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. You do understand that, that the, the, the Jewish race began with one person, Abraham. Abraham and Sarah. Okay. Verse 18, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying to your descendants, to your, who are his descendants? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? The Jewish people. To your descendants, I've given this land. Now notice this, from the river of Egypt, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. That's the Nile River to the Euphrates River. That is a huge section of land, and God gave it to the Jewish people, and now they only possess this one little tiny strip of land because God gave it to them. Look at Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 8 to 12. But you, O mountains... Of Israel, you will put forth your branches and bear your fruit for my people Israel. Boy, now can, can you imagine Ezekiel writing this and maybe reading this to the people in exile, the Jewish people in exile? And they know that they've messed up royally. They know they're in exile not because. God is a mean God, but because God is a just, holy, and righteous God. And they have shaken their fist in the face of God, and they have not revered the name of God. They know they're there because of what they did. And then to hear, to hear the prophecy of Ezekiel given to him by by God himself, but you, O mountains of Israel, you will put forth your branches and bear your fruit for them. Look at this. My people Israel. You ought to underline that in your Bible. My people Israel. Man, can you imagine how that must have thrilled their soul? Here they are in exile. By the way, God told Jeremiah, look, when these people go in exile, they're only going to be there for 70 years. There was a beginning and an ending. Can you imagine how that must have thrilled them to realize? Maybe they had a little countdown calendar, okay? One year, five years, ten. 
Can you add it? Maybe it's 65 years. They know they got five more years. You say, Pastor, do you, do you really believe that we can be that specific with what God? Yes. It's God's word. Do you know how long they were there? They were there 70 years. And do you know what God did? God ordained a pagan leader by the name of Cyrus to release the Jewish people to go back to the land. Man. I tell you, folks, if you just give a cursory look at the Bible, it makes you absolutely in awe of God. He's a sovereign God. He does whatever he wants to do when he wants to do it and how he wants to do it. I, I love the, the statement in Psalm 100 that God is faithful to all generations. He's faithful. You may be here tonight and you're going through a difficult time. And you wonder if God cares. Not only does he care, he, he has taken this book, the Bible, and he has loaded it with promises just for you. And you've got to find those promises, and you've got to embrace those promises and live in light of those promises. Look at this. But you, O mountains of Israel, you will put forth your branches and bear fruit for my people, Israel, for they will soon come. They're coming. Now, remember now, this is prophetic. In, in, in biblical prophecy in the Old Testament, there is a, 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 a near fulfillment and there is a future fulfillment. And the future fulfillment is the full fulfillment of, of what God promised that was uh, received at, at a certain level earlier. So I want you to know that when God gave Ezekiel this promise, for they will soon come. I, I wish I could go ahead and get into what I'm going to do later. But let me just say this to you. There was a time and I'll get into it maybe in a few minutes, when Israel was sent out of the land and for years and years and decades and decades and century after century, they had no homeland. They, there was no nation of Israel. There was no Hebrew language. They lost the Hebrew language. And then... When it says they will soon come, it's them coming back to the land of Israel. Do you know when Israel became a nation? May 14th, 1948. That is a direct fulfillment of what we're reading right there. Man, if that doesn't fire you up, your wood is wet. I'm telling you. Direct fulfillment. Look at it. Verse 9, for behold, I am for you. Now, now if you were, had a notebook and you just took Israel 
and you took what we've seen so far and you write down everything that, that indicates that God is for Israel and just make a note of it. He calls them my people. He said, I'm for you. I will turn to you and you will be cultivated and sown. The land of Israel. My goodness. Verse 10. I will multiply men on you. Now remember, we're talking about the land. There, there was a time when the, the Romans defeated the Jewish people and they were dispersed all over the world that the land was desolate, absolutely desolate. We're going to get into that in just a minute. I'm wanting to get ahead of myself. For behold, I am for you, I will turn to you, and you will be cultivated and sown, and the land will be cultivated and sown. I will multiply men on you, all the house of Israel, all of it, and the cities will be inhabited, and the waste places will be rebuilt. I will multiply on you man and beast, and they will increase and be fruitful, and I will cause you to be inhabited as you, as you were formerly, and will treat, I love this, look, and will treat you better than at the first. And this, this statement, next statement, is found 84 times in the book of Ezekiel. Look at it. Thus you will know that I am the Lord. 84 times in the book of Ezekiel. God said, look, I'm, I'm going to do something supernatural and special so that you'll know that I'm the Lord. You know what I've been praying since last Saturday? I have been praying that God would work in such supernatural ways that the Jewish leadership and the Jewish people and even the Palestinians and the entire world watching by TV and by live stream and everything, that the whole world will know that God is God. I, I, I've been praying that the Israeli Defense Force that God would just supernaturally allow them to see traps and, and, and bombs that, that have been placed there in Gaza to destroy them. And I'm praying that God will give them the ability to avoid those things in such a way that the whole world will know God did it. Listen, in the 1967 war, God did some supernatural things to allow the, the nation of Israel to continue to exist. Do you realize that the nation of Israel has to fight for its existence every single day? Every single day. They cannot let their guard down. You see what happened when they let their guard down, right? Somebody let their guard down. I will multiply, verse 11, I will multiply on you man and beast, and they will increase and be fruitful. I will cause you to be inhabited as you formerly were and will treat you better than at the first. Thus you will know that I am the Lord. Yes, I will cause men, my people Israel. Do you know how many times that's repeated here? My people Israel 
to walk on you, to walk on the land. And what? Possess you, possess the land so that you will become their inheritance and never again bereave them of children. What, what is, is God talking about there, bereave the, the Jewish people of children? Well, look at Leviticus 26, 32 and 33. God says, I will make the land desolate so that your enemies who settle in it will be appalled over it. You, however, I will scatter among the nations and will draw out a sword after you as your, your land becomes desolate and your cities become way. You say, well, why? Why would God do that to his covenant people? Because they disobeyed him. They dishonored him. They began to worship idols. They began to offer their children as sacrifices to Molech, a false god, an idol. Look at Deuteronomy 28, 64. Moreover, the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth, and there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone, which you and your fathers have not known. Now, remember this. In the northern kingdom of Israel, Assyria came and took them into exile, but they were exiled to one place, Assyria. The southern kingdom, Judah, they rebelled against God. And Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon came, and they took them into exile, where? To Babylon. But because of their disobedience and their failure to learn their lessons, God says in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 64, if you keep following this insane pattern in your life of ignoring me and failing to obey my word, then I want you to know I'm going to send you from one end of the earth to the other. And that's exactly what happened with Rome. And I think it's 138 was the final nail in the, in the coffin. The Bar Kokhba Rebellion. And Hadrian took the Jewish people and he sent them out of the land to the farthest corners of the earth and would not allow them back in the land. Look at Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 13 to 15. Thus says the Lord God, Thus says the Lord God, because they say to you, you are a devourer of men and have bereaved your nation of children. Therefore, you will no longer devour men and no longer bereave your nation of children, declares the Lord God. I will not let you hear insults from the nations anymore, nor will you bear disgrace from the peoples any longer, nor will you cause your nation to stumble any longer, declares the Lord God. Let, let me tell you what that's talking about. When Israel decided to do things their way as opposed to God's way, you, you know what God did? God sent drought. He sent famine. He sent storms. He sent pestilence, ways to discipline them. And, and look, 
men, women, boys, and girls died in that. That's exactly what it's talking about. The land will not bereave you of your children any longer. That's what he's talking about. On page 5, with this emphasis on the land of Israel, it's important to understand that with the Roman conquest of A.D. 70, A.D. 70, and A.D. 138, until the Zionist movement that started in the 19th century, the land of Israel became a desolate wasteland. I mean a desolate wasteland. Mark Twain visited Israel. And here's what he said about Israel. In 1867, the American author Mark Twain toured the land of Israel and described, now remember that's before 1948 when they became a nation again, right? Before they came back to the nation. In 1867, the, the American author Mark Twain toured the land of Israel and described it as a desolate country whose soil is rich enough but is given over wholly to weeds. Not weed, but weeds. A silent, mournful expanse, a desolation. We never saw a human being on the whole route. Hardly a tree or shrub anywhere. Even the olive tree and the cactus, those fast friends of worthless soil, had almost deserted the country. That's a picture of the desolation in the land of Israel when God sent them out of the land, and it was absolutely desolate. Spurgeon, the great British preacher, said in an 1864 sermon, and I quote, he said, these words, based on Ezekiel 36, he said, these words were addressed to the mountains of Palestine. Albeit that they are now waste and barren, they are yet to be as fruitful and luxuriant as in the days of Israel's grandeur. How could Spurgeon say that? How could he say at a time when it was absolutely desolate in Israel? How could he say the day's coming when the land of Israel is going to bloom like the crocus? And the land of Israel will be fruitful. I'll tell you why he could say it. Because he believed biblical prophecy. Now look at me. I hope and pray you believe biblical uh, prophecy. Do, Do you know why the Jewish religious leaders missed the coming of the Messiah? Because they didn't pay any attention to biblical prophecy. When Jesus was born, in Micah, the Old Testament prophet Micah, he, God shared with the world where Jesus the Messiah would be born, in Bethlehem. Did the high priest go to Bethlehem and check? Did he send any emissaries down there to check and see the Messiah? No. No. Herod was more concerned from a devious standpoint about the Messiah being born in Bethlehem than the Jewish religious leaders were. Listen to me. 
don't turn your nose up at biblical prophecy. Biblical prophecy is accurate. Spurgeon believed it. Hey, I've been to Israel three times. Many of you have been to Israel. And I'm telling you, it is absolutely amazing how fertile and fruitful the land of Israel is today. I, I, I remember they grow something over there. They call it persimmons. It may be something different, but it looks like a big persimmon. Darlene ate so many persimmons over there, it was unbelievable. She loves persimmons. You ever eaten a persimmon? You ate the wild ones. These are probably more cultured over there. Have you ever eaten a, a green persimmon? Oh, that'll turn your mouth inside out, won't it? But a persimmon is sweet. I mean, when it's ready, it's sweet and it's good. You know, we went to these hotels, and, and, and they feed you good over there. And every meal, whether it's uh, breakfast or dinner, you eat out on the road. But every meal, man, they got the best tomatoes. I can eat my weight in tomatoes. And they've got great tomatoes. You know, I, I, I noticed something here. I, I looked it up, Googled it. According to Israeli government statistics and reports, since the establishment of the modern state of Israel in 1948, they have more than tripled the amount of land used for farming and production has increased 16 times. What used to be an agricultural wasteland is now a model for the world, and Israel produces 95% of its own food requirements and has a large agricultural export industry. The most popular products in the Israeli agricultural market are tomatoes, carrots, turnips. You like turnips? Grapefruit, bananas. Israel is also a significant exporter of dates, avocados, olive oil, pomegranates, almonds, and it is a world leader in agricultural technology. They invented drip irrigation. Do you realize, if I'm, if I, if I'm not wrong, I, I think that there have been over 200 Jews who have won Nobel Prizes. Man, it's amazing. So we can regard these impressive developments as a mere beginning of the much greater fruitfulness promise in the fullness of God's plan for Israel and land. You say, what are you talking about, Pastor? The, the future, I'm talking about the millennial kingdom. You realize when the Lord Jesus is coming, you know where he's coming? He's not coming to Washington, D.C. He's coming to Jerusalem. And he's going to set up his millennial kingdom and rule from Jerusalem for a thousand years. Oh, man, I can't wait to see the fruitfulness of the land of Israel at that time. Now, look, I included some things here, just historical things for you to look at about the formation and creation of the modern Israeli state. This is interesting stuff. Now, 
Look at page 9. We're going to wrap up here. In 1948, when did Israel become a nation? May 14, 1948. You know what happened immediately? They were attacked by Egypt, Syria, Iraq, Jordan, and Saudi Arabia. They had an ill-equipped army. I mean, a ragtag army. And yet, you know what happened? This ragtag army beat these five armies of surrounding nations. You say, how do you explain that? Three letters, G-O-D, God. And then the Six-Day War in 1967, where Egypt and Syria came against the Israelis. Again, they won that war, and God supernaturally intervened in that war. And then the Yom Kippur War, the last time that they that Israel declared war was 1973, the Yom Kippur War against Egypt and Syria. So let me, let me close with this. Is God's covenant with the Jewish nation and the Jewish people permanent? Will there ever come a time when there is no nation of Israel? Huh? Look at Jeremiah 31, 35 and 36. Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. Look at verse 36. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then the offspring of Israel also will cease from being a nation before me forever. Look, I'm 69 years old and I've always seen the sun come up that may be behind the cloud, but it's, I've always seen the sun come up and I've always seen the moon come up at night, even though I may not see it because of clouds or whatever. God said, look, if this fixed order ceases to be, then the nation of Israel can cease to be. The point is, it's never going to cease to be. That fixed order is always going to be there as long as Jesus tarries. And that means the nation of Israel will always be there. It's permanent. God made a permanent covenant with the people of it. Now listen, think about this. If God didn't keep his covenant with Israel, it would make me a little nervous about him keeping the new covenant with us, right? But God is, what, what I say a moment ago in Psalm 100, God is faithful to all generations. Man. Samuel Say, a guy from Canada wrote this. I, I love this. So in these bad times, we should remember the gospel of Christ. We should be more familiar with the good news than all the bad news from the war. Hey, that's a good word for us, right? God became a man, a Jewish man. The king of the universe is from Israel. Jesus' ethnicity is Jewish. His mother is Jewish. His brothers and his sisters are Jewish. His apostles are Jewish. His prophets are Jewish. His ancestors are Jewish. Jesus was born a Jew, raised a Jew, died a Jew, resurrected a Jew, ascended a Jew, and reigns as a Jew. He hasn't stopped being a Jew. Just as we will maintain our ethnicity in heaven, 
Jesus maintains his Jewish ethnicity in heaven. That's why he's describing the book of Revelation as the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David. So if you hate Jews, you hate Jesus. In the same way, if you hate Palestinians, you hate their creator. Palestinians are made in the image of God. So if you hate them, you hate God. The good news is Jesus was born in Bethlehem, currently Palestinian land, by the way, so that he would be the Savior of Jews and Gentiles, including Palestinians. He lived a sinless life so that he would suffer and die on the cross, offering himself as our atoning sacrifice, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Listen, nobody can bring us to God but Jesus. And he, listen, the gospel is for the entire world. It's for the, what does it say in Romans 1, 16? It's for the Jew first, and then what? Then the, the Greek. Everybody else, okay? Hey, thank you for being here tonight. We're just getting started, okay? Make sure that you're here next Wednesday night, and hopefully we'll cover the rest of chapter 36 next Wednesday night, okay? And then we're, like that rock skipping across the lake, we're just going to go through uh, Ezekiel 36 to 39, we're going to drop down where we need to drop down. And I hope and pray this really helps you. It really stirs your heart. And you really understand that it is imperative that we live in constant readiness for the coming of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the sovereign God. Nothing is impossible with you. Father, the Bible says in the book of Jeremiah that you, that you plant nations and you uproot nations. The Bible says that you, that you can control kings just like uh, you can control water. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I pray, O oh God in heaven, that you would protect your covenant people. I pray, O oh God in heaven, that you would protect innocent Palestinians. I pray, O oh God in heaven, that you would allow the Jewish leadership to bring to justice the, 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 the leaders of Hamas, the people of Hamas who did such awful atrocities. O oh God in heaven, Protect them as they do it. And Lord, help us every single day that we live. Help us to live knowing that that day could be the day. It could be the day when you come. Lord, we love you. We bless you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.